Hi, and welcome to 141 Studio. I'm Paul Cushing, and I'm here with Ryan Whiting. We're going to talk about Pep Guardiola and the importance that he has uh, being at the pinnacle of the game currently and what his significance is as a game now and going forward into the future. But we have uh, something else to actually talk about first uh, in relation to our, our topic last, last time we were out, and that was with Thomas Tuchel and Jurgen Klopp. I just want to go on record right now at the top of the pod. I was right. Pretty clearly I was right. What about? Tuchel. Okay. I mean, in what sense? Like, did that... It wasn't wasn't going great, and he was not getting along with his players and apparently the rest of the executives because he's gone now. Tuchel was fired over the... Uh, was it Tuesday? Yeah, it was Tuesday. Wednesday. Midweek, yeah. yeah. it was Wednesday. He was fired Wednesday. He lost. I mean, he was fired, I guess, before the Champions League game on Tuesday. Was he fired yeah, before? He was, yeah, there was. It wow. was already the decision had already been made by by Bully and sporting director. They had already made a decision. They had realized that um, they were done with his antics, and they were done. And they felt the players didn't like him anymore. They were ready to to start anew. And it seemed like no one was having fun at Chelsea. It, it there was a feeling of that at times. Um, it didn't feel like people were enjoying themselves at Chelsea anymore. Which, in some instances, if you're winning all the time, it's not a big deal. But when your coach is a very intense man who can't not control something, it becomes <laughs> an issue. And Tuchel is a control freak to a point. He really struggled when things didn't go his way. And he, even though he wanted to drive the bus, he also wanted to drive the bus with his parts and his pieces in it. He never really received that. I don't know if it's necessarily, I, I think that was partially his fault because I think he kind of gave a mixed, mixed message about what he really, really wanted. You know, did he want full control or did he not? You know, there was never that like concise thing. He was like, oh, he didn't want full control, but you know, but then he's like pushing sporting directors out and other sporting directors are coming in. And he's having a hard time with them. He's getting in arguments and then saying, you know, it gets to the point where the, the relationship becomes untenable. And they don't talk anymore. You know, that's an issue. That's a big time issue. And a new owner who is constantly seeing his manager or not his manager, but the manager of the club come out and constantly berate him in front of the world and all of his supporters and he there is a frustration with that i think it finally got to a point where he's like no i'm not doing this anymore why why am i dealing with this you guys are like they're what seventh right now but they've played really poorly and they could be in worse shape than they are right now and i think he was sort of deserved I, it's it's hard to defend how Tuchel's teams are playing right now or team was playing right now yeah it's hard to defend they they it's funny their their issues were there was a lot of them, but I they were talking about like how they don't have defenders and this and that and it was more that I don't know if it was that they didn't have defenders anymore more than that they couldn't find a system to fit everything together. Right. You know and uh, it's embarrassing when you have a team that spent a ton on interchangeable attacking players that all do different things that can form a coherent attack if you decided to take certain pieces and put them together and you can't come up with anything with them when we're looking at players like Kai Havertz and Timo Werner Christian Pulisic Romelu Lukaku Romelu Lukaku who else Raheem Sterling Raheem Sterling uh, uh, Hakim Ziyech Ziyech I mean, let's go up. Callum Hudson-Odoi, Mason Mount. 
and you can't come up with anything you like out of that? There are a lot of players there. They have a lot of talent there. Put two guys on the wing that can fire crosses. You have a 6-4 monster. That's at least something. I don't know. Lukaku's what, 6-2? I mean, he's a big boy. He's just a big boy. Yeah. Lukaku's a big boy, and he likes to put his body around. Right. I will say, though, maybe, I mean, I don't know what was going on with that whole thing. I felt like uh, Tuchel didn't want to find a way to work with him. I think, and then there was a whole article with Lukaku, uh, was it Lukaku and Tuchel, they had this whole back and forth, and yeah. that was the beginning of the end. Lukaku was pretty vocal about not enjoying what was happening at Chelsea while he was there. Yeah, he had a whole um, a video article about Yeah, in Italian. He did an article in Italy, I believe. Yeah, and it was pretty bad. It was pretty right. scathing with regards to how he felt about Chelsea and like how he wanted to be back at Inter Milan. Right. How he missed it and missed Lautaro. And it was like, you know, I think that I, I think that was the beginning of them because Tuchel got really upset about that. He did. And like was like essentially banished him for a period of time but also like called him out in front of players and did the whole thing and that was really the end that was the end i think because then the other players were like well i mean i mean i i don't disagree with lukaku and so it's one of those the thing is is that things were going pretty well for chelsea at the time right and they felt like they had turned around and like he like was playing again because he got hurt and he was playing again he was scoring mm-hmm. goals just do the whole thing and then it all fell apart after that right. and there there's some there's some weird funk that happened there like there was some sort of turning point where i think there there was a time where tuchel was well liked by the players right i think that that whole thing and maybe there were probably a couple other little side stories going on at the same time that created a whole new dynamic about how the coach and the players got along he's he seems like the kind of guy that and I think you've already said this, but when you're winning, like winning is fun. To quote Julian Edelman, winning is fun. But if you're doing that same stuff and you're not winning, that's not as much fun. When you have the most intense manager like you've ever played with and he's like, I don't like any of what you're doing, but you're winning, that's fine. When you're not, you're like, well, this sucks though. And and I'm not, and we're still not winning. Like we're doing it your way. I'm not having any fun and we're not getting results. Right. So I imagine just slowly over time, everybody was kind of sick of that shit, you know? Yeah. And it's sort of, I mean, it makes me wonder now, like what his future, what his future holds, because I don't think he's going to find a big time job anytime soon. It's going to be a while. I think if he does, it'll be one of those second tier clubs. It'd be like a Valencia or a Lyon, those types of teams like Benfica, that kind of thing where he'll be like well loved for the time that he's there. But even then those clubs might be like, "Mm, I don't know if we want to deal with that. Like he has a poison chalice kind of syndrome going on. It's like, do you really want to touch this? Because you know, you're going to get about 18 months and everything is going to fall apart. A little Mourinho-esque. In some instances, yes, but Mourinho has had staying power places. Like yeah. eventually, it did go. He did go turn south, and he. But he has had success. Yes, in places. Definitely. He's had success everywhere he's gone. In actually. some manner, form. Yeah. yeah, you know, maybe the only place he didn't really have success with is at Tottenham. They never won. A, they never won a cup. That's true. It do, it seems in a lot of ways that how Tottenham plays now is in kind of built on what he had laid down with some of their key players. Uh, what he had started and yeah. Conte's, you know. Yeah, Kane and uh, Kane and Son and their defense are all a little bit nastier than they used to be, and I think some of that is Mourinho's like, no, you need to go for blood at all times to win. Hmm. And Conte is very much in that mold, so he's like, yeah, kill him. <laughs> 
Yeah, you get a point there, yeah. But I would say that, yeah, he didn't win. But he that was like the one place he didn't get anything done. And the thing is, that's crazy too, is that I felt like in a way Tottenham didn't give him enough time to turn that whole thing around. And they also didn't give him money. He didn't yeah. really buy anyone that was real importance. And that whole system is weird anyways. Anyway, but <laughs> uh, we're kind of digressing. Off this it. does lead us. Do you think that Tuchel, with a lot of wanting to, to build his team and drive the bus in the way he wants to drive it, do you think that that's related to the guy that's above him? What, to Pep? To Pep. I don't know. I think Tuchel is shaped in a similar way to Pep and Klopp in the sense of like how how their teams are structured and like how the roles are very specific and, and all of that. But there's something at Pep to, I think Pep is a better manager of people than Tuchel will ever be. Like Tuchel would, in a way, <laughs> Tuchel is an excellent assistant. I mean, he's a great, he's a really, really good, maybe great manager. But I think he's like, he's an excellent assistant who's a really, really great manager. Because yeah. he does all the work on the side that an excellent man uh, assistant manager would do, which is, he doesn't necessarily do like man, man management, but he does like all the analytics and he can do like all the tactical stuff. He knows all of that stuff. But even now we're talking about how Foley uh, thought that there was um, issue with the way that, which might be a bullshit, like a thing that Foley uh, just said to get Tugel upset where Tugel, they said Tugel didn't know what he was doing or he they felt like he was inadequate in, you know, certain areas of, of managing. Uh, was the word unprepared? I don't know if it was unprepared. I, I don't know if I saw that, but it wasn't. It wasn't unprepared. It was more like they don't. They didn't think he had the ability to deal with the squad that he had. Yeah. More than the fact that he didn't like his squad. Yeah. Which is a little also a little insane. So. Yeah, it, it seems like perhaps Tuchel needs someone who can do the softer side of managing to to be alongside him. He needs, as an yeah, assistant. he definitely needs like a like a friend, someone right. who can be the friend. Some some nice old Englishman or whatever. If you're in England, to kind of be like, hey, chin up, chap. You can you'll you'll do better next time. <laughs> or like just someone that can just at least be personal with them. Right. I don't think he's a very good personal coach. That's what Pep. You know, like we'll talk about, we're gonna talk about Pep, where he he has that in him. Even though he's like just a great tactical X's and O's manager, he's also really good at understanding what his players need and and demanding the most from his players and getting the most out of them at the same time. We're going to talk a lot about Pep's footballing genius. Do you think that his best quality? is that he can look at a person and kind of understand what it is that they do, what they what they need to be successful, and what he can do to encourage that. Yes, in a way, yes. I think he is someone who understands how players fit styles. What kind of positions you want a player to be in in order to be successful? I guess yes, that would be the answer, yes. He understands that not all systems, not all players can sh uh, fit into the same system and do the things that that do the things that need to be done. Right. He has various. He has he has principles that he lives by and core beliefs that he lives by. To kind of start off this conversation, I want to I want to use a story I heard, and I I don't know if it's true, but I I love the thought of it. One day in training. 
when he was still a player at Barcelona. He and Xavi were watching a 15-year-old Andres Iniesta on the training ground. And he looked at Xavi and he said, you might retire me, but he's going to retire both of us. And I kind of think that that's a distillation of how Pep looks at the game. Uh, Yeah, in a way, yeah. But Pep was always the, he was always a thinker. Like he was someone who, who always was like, would he was a he's an avid reader he's a big time reader he's he and he's a big time reader of just other things that aren't soccer related he's he's like very cultural at Brescia the coaches were dumbfounded at how well mannered well not maybe not necessarily well mannered but how cultured he was how he, the, he loved the game but he also loved a bit like the culture too that was the reason why he went to Brescia he could have gone to Inter AC Milan he could have gone to any of those big Italian clubs but he went to he went to Brescia because it was most it had the most culture to him had the most like like the whole life experience was important to him and so when he went to Brescia when they found that out uh, the coaches at Brescia found that out they were kind of they were dumbfounded and then they they started to like kind of lean in on him and and bring him into coaches meetings after practices and he was part essentially part of the coaching staff while still playing at the same time you know and they found that his mind was brilliant with regards to understanding play and how people needed where people needed to be and how like how he could be effective while whilst he was knowing that he was starting to slow down himself because he was never the fastest or the most athletically gifted player and he still isn't at this point like i mean he will never be that he was never that person but i I actually think Pep has said on record before that he was a pretty average. Oh, he's like the average player. below. Well, yeah, yeah he, or like he was a below average athlete. Right. Like he wasn't a good athlete, but he's he, kinda he knew, knew he the doing. game. He knew what he was doing. And Johan Cruyff, when he had him as a player, knew how to, this is where his this idea comes from, is from Johan Cruyff and how Cruyff knew how to get the very best out of players and knew how to protect players in their weaknesses. So Pep was a deep lying six six. He was a deep lying midfielder who could play like between the center backs out of the back and also keep play moving and knew how to progress the ball and put players in positions to get the attacking movements. He was essentially the player that you know, like he was the the third pass from the goal, essentially a lot of the time. A uh, uh, little bit of a to use an American, a little bit of a quarterback kind uh, of no. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that he knew he knew how to develop play and like re and um, create moments, but I don't know if he was necessarily like a full quarterback sort of thing. He was just a guy who um, he couldn't defend. Period. Like <laughs> okay. he couldn't. Like he what well, he could. Yeah. But the thing was is that he could defend small areas. Like right. that was his thing. They could not ask him. Like a normal six was going to run touchline to touchline. Gord- right. Gordillo couldn't do that. Like it, like he just couldn't do that. And so what happened is Krayev built a system, and he built he had like hardworking other hardworking midfielders who could cover those spaces for him. And it's the same thing that happened to Pirlo. Yeah. When um I think Ancelotti did it. I can't remember what coach did it, but it, someone recognized the brilliance of Pirlo, the utter brilliance of Pirlo, and they're like, why are we having him move like shuttle around for like all over the place? Let's get <laughs> some like hardworking guys near him, right? And let him just be brilliant. Right, give him the ball, put the ball on his feet, let him see the guy that's about to score a goal and get the ball to him. Like, like he just did a, he was that guy, like he knew that. So the plan was to allow, like Cruyff allowed him to just be the great player that he was, which was move the ball forward, progress the game, progress it to players who could then attack. And then also be good enough defending wise, like in his spaces in order to collect the ball 
and then restart the attack again. The idea was that he kept possession and that he would never lose the ball. And he never did. He very rarely did. I actually think he's he has credited the fact that he was not, and again, it's kind of in his own words, not a good enough footballer to not know the game, to become the coach that he is. Right, right, right. He was so good. He, his mind was so good that it covered up a lot of his faults as a right. as a physical player, which is it's an amazing accomplishment for to be a professional player at that level and not have. I mean, he had, obviously had some athletic ability. You can't get to that level and not be an like not be an athlete. You have to have some athletic ability. He's still probably one of the fastest people you've ever met. He's just, just Pep Guardiola. Yeah. Oh no, he's slow. Like how slow? Like no, so he was slow. Like Pep. Like his mind was fast. His body was yeah. slow. He was not a he was not a fast player. Like that's why like, he couldn't cover sideline to sideline. I've watched you run. You faster than Pep? Oh, definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you're talking about like legitimately running, like yeah. where I'm fit, oh yeah, I'm faster than him. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a, a, I'm legitimately fast. Yeah, yeah. No, I know you're. No, he's no. He was he was slow. He was like and that's why like it's sort of a testament to Cryoff. And this is where Guardiola learned this is because Guardiola understood. He's like you don't need you don't need all of the best athletes or all of the guys who like can hit the perfect ball and do this and do that. You need the guys who know how to understand the game and who can read the game and put them in positions to be most successful. So he has had different iterations of teams and different styles of teams who are all wildly successful, but all did different things, you know? The Barcelona teams at, in the beginning of his tenure were, a f- they would just dominate you in the middle. And they had wide players who knew how to attack 2v1s consistently. And you had Messi in case everything else broke down. <laughs> right. You know, like you had all of the, you had all of the answers. Yeah. You know, and they, they just dominated the middle. They, with Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets, like Busquets was like, like the guy like to me like at times he was the guy because he was a guy who allowed Javi Busquets to do the things that they did I heard him described once as a as a fire he would just yeah. put out fire he's Guardiola yeah he is the he is Guardiola like he is he he was ended up being like he was a more athletic version of Guardiola in some ways and Busquets was when Arsenal played Barcelona when they when they first maybe not the first time but as they kind of like constantly matched up with them they were they rivals get, in like the early aughts late uh late 2000s early 2010s like to like I would say 2015 or 16 the game plan was to stop Busquets right it wasn't to stop the other players because they knew that those other players were going to do something right the idea was that they needed to stop Busquets because if Busquets couldn't get the ball moving everything sort of fell apart right and so it was very much like craft teams with Guardiola like if Guardiola was like snuffed out of the game it was much harder for Barcelona to do the things that they needed to do to win games to go back to the um the Busquets point, I believe Arsene Wenger at one point had a quote where if Messi just wants to beat you, like Messi do- decides he's going to win a game, he's just going to. He's going to win a game, yeah. Right. But a lot of that doesn't happen without like having other players in the right place. Like because right. Messi, like maybe Messi at twenty one could do that in some instances. But you're seeing though, like when he got as time went on, when other pieces started to fall away, like he couldn't do those things anymore. Right. Because he he was relied on too much, you know, he became too relied upon, and then and and, and Barcelona would struggle sometimes when Messi was like the only idea they had left. If he wasn't going to win that game when he was the only idea, well, then they would not win it. It also was like it became like a an issue with regards to like midfield dominance. 
So you have Busquets, and then you have Xavi, who could get out of any trouble. He could dribble out of trouble, and he could find the next pass. Same thing, and Iniesta was very much the same thing. They, those two guys, even though they were different, yeah. were also very similar in some instances. I mean, I think it, like, they're both very special players. Yeah. Very, very special players. I, I think you and I have kind of talked. Iniesta is easily one of my top three favorite players of all time. I love Iniesta. He's a right. fantastic player. He's like sort of a... I U- unique. He's one of a kind. Uh, there's I'll, I'll shout out another. There's a phenomenal TIFO video about Iniesta, which will explain him completely in a poetic way that is perfect for, for the player that he was. Right. He's like perfect example of why soccer is poetry right. to me. Like he is the example of why soccer is or football, whatever you want to call it, is why it's poetry in, in the, the realest and like truest sense of its form. Because he's not a he was never a big goal scorer, he's never a big assist man, but somehow he always was in the the areas that right. were most dangerous and he somehow he was always the guy making things happen. Right. And he's still doing it in Japan. Yeah, I actually what, watched a uh, he's like forty two or something. I was watching a highlight video and I was like, I don't recognize that jersey. And then I realized that everything written around the stadium was all in, I believe it's called kanji, the Japanese. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's still doing that like high kick touchdown instead of like trying to chest stuff at 42 in Japan. And he's still just like getting the ball and defenders are like coming to hit him. And he's just like, yeah, I guess I'll just take this with me and like yeah. going around him. It's, it's crazy. He's still doing it. He'll never stop. He is on. He is unstoppable. He's he plays for Vissel Kobe. Yep. And he is he's sponsored by Asics, which yeah. is in Kobe. Yeah. Based in Kobe. So it's like kind of a he's got the whole thing. He's living a great life in Japan. It's like kind of a wild thing. He's like, yeah. I'm just gonna go to Japan and he's like he's, he clearly loves it there. Yeah. He's very similar to Guardiola because it's a cultural thing. Like yeah. he must have loved the culture so much in Japan that he's like, I'm gonna go there for that because I really love that. I think that we could possibly see Andre Iniesta being involved with Japanese football at some point when he does finally retire at like 58 what being like a manager or something being the consultant or like japan football national manager right something like that yeah because i i don't see him deciding to do the zabi thing and going into the slog but i could see him kind of like taking this adopted nation of his and and wanting to be involved with that because it does seem like he loves it there i mean yeah and the thing is too is like he's one of like the Guardiola disciples and yeah. I feel like there are more coming like Mikel Arteta mm-hmm. um had worked under Pep Guardiola and he's become I would say he's now moderately successful and is probably going I think in the long term he will be very successful as a manager I don't know if he will stay at Arsenal or what I don't know what the plan is but I think he's going to be good wherever he yeah goes. I think it'll be, I th- he will be and the thing is too is that clubs will trust him like big clubs will trust him to be a builder yeah. and like snuff out all the garbage that's happening around him it may take time but i think there is deep rot at arsenal and they needed a whole reset yeah. like manchester united there's they're talking about how ten hog is like ten hog it looks like we'll be okay like i thought i said i think i said in one of our previous podcasts that he would be fired before the end of the year i can't believe how well he already has them playing in a way they lost on wednesday they lost yeah. yesterday they played really poorly there is something to be said. There is something very special about his tactical awareness and all right. of that. And now he's also going to have to do that same work 
that um, Arteta did. And the thing is, is it, it started in a very similar way because Ten Hag is winning games without winning, having possession of the, the ball. Right. And what what's going to happen is that they're going to go through this whole period of like having to bring in players that don't always fit perfectly, and then and then they'll still have to go through this period of like, all right, this is, these are the guys that Ten Hag wants. We need to trust him and give him those guys. Let's just give them those guys. So you were saying they were they're winning without possession of the ball, and it made me think we had a con- we've had conversations about this off air. Pep's time in Italy. One of the things that he really kind of enjoyed learning about was Catanaccio. Yeah, he did. He learned a lot about Catanaccio in Italy at Brescia. He definitely, that was one of the things that he And you had described Pep's offensive vision. And I'll, I'll let you say it because, like, you should get all credit for this, but... Well, his offensive vision was to keep possession of the ball. Like, he, he finds that possession of the ball is important, but it's to keep players in position so that if the ball is lost, there's no detriment to... There's no real chances of being exposed on the break. Like, that was his thing. So, like, in a way, it was... They can close out games just possessing the ball. Right. That's, you know, like, in a way, it's like offensive catenaccio. It's weird to say that (laughs) because it's like a, it seems like counterintuitive. But the thing is, it's like he plays, he plays, it's positional play. Everything's positional play. And there are times they will get exposed and they have been exposed on breaks and stuff. But it's so very rare that that happens. And when it does happen, teams, people are like, what the hell is going on? Like, What's wrong with Man City? Yeah, like the game against Newcastle, they gave up a, free kick about 25 yards out from goal mm-hmm. right in the center against a guy who's excellent at taking free kicks right yeah and the other two were breaks right they scored on the break right yeah. i mean like and the thing was is like it was a couple of bad decisions in the middle of the field for them uh so the unique thing that eddie howe was doing was he was marking kyle walker with uh why am i forgetting my own players names uh joel linton and they were just letting saint maximian just like stay behind him so kyle walker would get caught out and they were just bombing him to max mean and then he has to try and like catch up to a incredibly tricky winger and that's where a lot of their trouble was coming from uh at least for the first like two-thirds of the Linton's good defensively too and when because they they like to play like this is part of the whole um system is like guardiola wants to get into wm which is like a thing that's like 100 years old it's like 1920s yeah it developed in the 1920s and like it can it can warp and morph and so like the idea is that there are two center backs and you get three kind of like wing backs and a midfielder sort of thing and then you have two attacking midfielders and three forwards and the idea is that it creates depth in space and vertically and horizontally so that you can create overloads all over the field that's the point of it yeah. Now, what ends up happening is it can the 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 W in the back, which is the two defenders and the three, you know, midfielders, wing backs, whatever, that can switch to an M in case there's high pressure, so that there's so that the, there can be an outlet in case something like that happens. This is why he likes the inverted wings because they can go in and become. They can, the, yeah. So they can they become the top. Well, of the and w. that wing back can slide back and be part of those two center backs. So then right. there's there's never this moment of like, oh wait, all right, I know I can manage the situation. High press, I need to sit and be that third outlet. So then there's still an overload at all times because the whole point is to have overloads everywhere over the field, right? So that you're playing constantly five v three or five v two or 5v4, so that there's always someone available at all times. So you keep possession of the ball. And that's what's brilliant about his play, is that it always seems to happen. There always seems to be a player open. How And you're like, how is this happening? And it's like, just because it's already been thought out, like he's already thought about that whole process. 
we yeah we're gonna talk about the processes of always having an extra man and so I'm I'm looking at this nice WM setup you made on on the carpet here. It's rocks. It's very lovely. Yeah, they're, they're uh, crystals. Yeah, yeah, crystals may, may, rocks, yeah. Maybe we'll we'll post it on on Twitter. That'll be I'm I'm taking a picture. Uh, <laughs> so I'm looking at this, and it strikes me there's a concept that you've talked about a lot, and I I understand it. It's half spaces. Yeah, and it, it looks like. Pep is utilizing those. Yeah. So, all right. There, there is. Uh, there was back in the day a drawing of like spaces on a field that would be dangerous or most dangerous and would help with some positional play. Now Guardiola put it on steroids and created all these areas in which put numbers on them. Right. There's like nine in a right on like the old fashioned. And version. he's got like six, fourteen or sixteen. I think it's yeah. fourteen or whatever. And so there are two half spaces, attacking half spaces, and to him they are the most attack the the most dangerous spaces on the field at any given time. In a match it's not at wide it's not like necessarily i mean obviously when you get into the 18 it can become dangerous but those are the most that's where everything is created from that's where everything like all of the great chances are created from is in those areas uh let me for example stop me if you've heard this one before the ball falls to De Bruyne's feet. He's standing, what, six yards outside of the box? And all of a sudden, there's a through ball hitting, I don't know, let's just choose a giant Foden. blonde football-playing robot Holland. in Erling Holland. Yeah. Right at net, yeah. like within the, the six-yard box. There's so many of those, those like, he gets it to Foden out on the wing, which puts a cutback into Holland or any of those things, or gets a cutback into Sergio Aguero, or, you know, you, you could hear millions of things. You could say it with Iniesta to Danny Alves to Zlatan, briefly, to the so the, to Samuel Eto'o, to Thierry Henry, to David Villa, to Yaya Torre, to, I mean, you could go, the list could go on and on and on about how this works. And the idea is that why he has this WM is so that he can exploit overloads in, in dangerous areas of the field. And he creates this system in order for teams to have to respect that at all times. And he and he creates this way of building attacks. So all of the work is done in the back so that in the forward line, anything can happen. Like there's more freedom. It's not drilled into them that they have to play a very specific way. Now there are some rules, okay? There's Thierry Henry has a great story. You should find it. it he 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 does Champions League work for CBS now, mm-hmm. and he's brilliant. You should watch him if you can. I love how he talks about the game. He has a great video about Kylian Mbappe and what makes him so special, and just in general about how he talks about the game because he thinks differently. Anyway, he has a great story about when he first played for Pep and how he was playing in a Champions League game against Sporting Lisbon, and he he wanted he wasn't getting the ball, and he was he decided that he needed to go float to the ball <laughs> and essentially go play with Messi because that's what he wanted to do. He's like, I wanted to play with Messi. What ended up happening, he scored a goal in the first half, but he was substituted at halftime because he wasn't doing his job as Pep described him as described it as and he it was like a moment of like oh like i actually have to do my job now like i have to be i have to be great now and i have to actually do what the coach tells me to do and there's a reason for that and it's to exploit all of the spaces all the dangerous spaces on the field and not create areas in which there's too many people condensed in one area so like pep guardiola's system the idea is that no more than two players can play vertically in the same line and no more than three 
players can play horizontally in the same line. The idea is that it creates space for all of the players on the field. And in that system, you start to, like, players start to learn how to play in all of these spaces, like, automatically without thinking. And they know what spaces they're in. And they know where other players are going. Yeah, to be. or where they should be, you know. And there can be ar- arguments in place when those things don't happen. Yeah. So this all feels very kind of do your jobby. There is some of that. Yeah. I mean, he's like the he's the smartest. He's the guy who knows it all. Like he's a guy who knows how to exploit spaces better than anyone in the game. He does it better than anyone. And why I think Klopp and Guardiola are very similar and why I think they're all near the same level is because Klopp knows how to close space better take than anyone. Take those away. Take away space better than anyone in the game. And Guardiola knows how to exploit and open up space more than anyone in the game. And I think that's why they're both so brilliant. And it's not to say that Klopp isn't a great attacking manager, because he is, because they scored. Liverpool can sort tons of goals. It's just his main points are about winning the ball high up the pitch to score goals in less than three passes, because that's a thing. That's like a legitimate thing. If you can, and it score, goes all the way back to the eighties. That's yeah, okay. yeah. It, there's a lot of a lot of research done that most successful goals have uh, three passes or less before they are scored. Scored or, or most goals, I guess, because successful goals just implies goals. Yeah. But most goals have less than three passes before they are scored. Yeah. Do you want to move on to, do you want to keep doing tactics or do you want to, we can pull this in. Uh, There are two things I'm thinking. So one, the fact that he told one of the top 10 players of all time that he he benched him at the half. That's very, uh, what's his name? Greg Popovich screaming at Tim Duncan. The fact that he can do that and did that with Thierry Henry, like no one ever tells him he's wrong anymore because like Thierry Henry realized that like, okay, he's right. And then the other one is the Bill Belichick. Like he just knows more about this than anybody. And he can kind of go that route briefly. Yeah. I think that's fine. I think um, I just I, we we've talked a lot about the tactics. Yeah, that's um, fine. We can talk about that briefly. I mean, it's not that. I mean, him being a great manager is because of what he he knows about the game. Yeah, and I think we can relate him to coaches in America if that's like a good thing to do. I just um, so I think it's more the um when you start looking at the most successful managers and and I mean I guess take whatever you want out of this that you think is applicable here but when you look at the most successful managers are you and, talking what you're talking about right there yeah, yeah yeah so every this whole section i was like yeah we're just gonna edit this out and then i realized that there was some stuff that actually might be useful in here okay. when you talk about the most successful managers in sports a lot of them one they get that respect that kind of like that screaming at Tim Duncan. Well, okay, if you if you can do that, or like benching Thierry Henry, we can do that with that guy. Then he can do that with anybody. There's a respect there, kind of like to tie it into the Tuchel thing. Like at a certain point, his players are just kind of like, well, you hate me anyway. I don't care. And I don't think there's ever you ever get that with Pep. I think he he has an understanding of his players as people, and I think he has to have that because he's putting people in the places they need to be to succeed. Yeah, well, he he's, he, like, one thing that Arteta learned from Guardiola, we should just cut this all. Like, we should yeah, cut and wanna... splice it. No, like, cut and splice it as we go because I feel like we're already there. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Or we can just have it in. Who cares? It's a raw thing. We'll just let it be what it is. Right. Or Nate will cut what he needs to cut. He prob- things like that will yeah, probably end be up. Gone. Cut like, anyway, yeah. but yeah, so the thing about Guardiola, the thing that Arteta learned about Guardiola is that Guardiola doesn't, 
he doesn't allow cancers to spread. Right. So the Zlatan thing, he signed Zlatan, paid it. It, it was enormous. Like he gave it, Samuel Eto, which was one of the top goal scorers in the world, and 50 million pounds to AC Milan for Zlatan. And this that is much before, money. Like, or Inter, I think it was Inter. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, this was like, that's a crazy fee. Like one of the biggest fees ever, right? Yeah. And he, he, six months in, he realized it backfired. Right, immediately realized, I need to get rid of Zlatan. I have to get rid of him. I made a terrible mistake. Right. You know what I mean? Like, And people want to say like, oh, well, you know, like, oh, he didn't know how to use Zlatan. He's like, he knew how to use Zlatan. There was a whole thing. It's just they didn't get along. And Zlatan was making the team worse. Right. You know, like he wasn't a he wasn't a great teammate. Well, at least at the time, like he didn't become like he's been he's been known to be a good teammate in other places. So like I don't want to. He has some leadership qualities now. Yeah, I mean oh. he, but at the time he was not he was not the guy to take them forward. And there was something personal between them that something they, their relationship wasn't very good. Right. Something happened and their relationship soured. I I think that there was it wasn't a missing misunderstanding, but I think something got kind of like blown up and i mean if if slayton's an incredibly interesting figure find some stories about him he he definitely is someone who can take perceived slights a little personally it's part of what makes him kind of the player he is right and i i think i can't remember exactly what it was but i think that there was an insult or something like that or like he just was told straight up i'm not gonna play you and it just sort of like exploded from there zlatan said that pep guardiola wasn't a man oh, yeah. essentially it was yeah. what he said that like like pep if pep were a real man that he would have done so and so and so right which i'm like mm, okay right. yeah that that sounds very very slayton yeah um, well, and I think it's very interesting because the next year, so they, they struggled that year. They didn't win the Champions League. The next year, they get rid of them. They sign um, Devin Villa, a couple other yep. players, and they were the best team ever. The best team ever, you know, of the modern era and maybe all of football, you know, of all football of all time. And he knew what his error was. The thing is, is that Zlatan was never going to conform to the things that he needed him to do, that Guardiola needed him to do. Yeah. And once he realized that wasn't going to, what that wasn't going to happen because Zlatan's got a maverick side to him and it's yeah. part of who he is something that's brilliant about him but also can be annoying once he realized that he knew that he had to go right he knew he had to go and the thing is is that that was one of the things that I think Arteta learned while being at Manchester City is that like as soon as there is some sense of that with players they then they want to eradicate them from right the team gotta go yeah, like, that's what he did. No, at nothing personal. Yeah, it's yep. the same thing with uh, Aubameyang at Arsenal. Yep. All those things. Like Obama, Aubameyang was the captain. He kept on showing up late, and guess what? You're sold. He you was, were out of the team first, and then yeah, he he was cut as captain, and then he wasn't in the team. He was training alone, and mm-hmm. then eventually he was got, like he was essentially given away to Barcelona for nothing. Right. It was free. He was given away for free. You know, and that was the price that the Arsenal had to pay at the time. Yep. to do those things and that they are like people are giving arsenal a hard time about the the sales that they've made or whatever and it's like you know what this this is part of the whole change much like manchester right. city had with some of the players or like with barcelona when 
Guardiola was there and Ronaldinho was there. That yep. was like one of the first things he did. He was like, he jettisoned Ronaldinho, who was a legend at that club. Right. You know, helped bring them back to their glory. Yep. Won their first Champions League. Yep. Like did the whole, or second Champions League, excuse me, not the first or second. But he brought them back to glory. Yep. Helped them bring back to glory. And he jettisoned them because he wasn't going to be able to do the things that he needed a player to do. Like he needed yep. to set the example right. And I think that's what makes him so special. It's the same thing that like Belichick does and Popovich does. They all do the same thing. They all do the same thing. They know that everyone has to be in the, moving in the same direction. Yeah. In a way. They can have different ideas, but they all have to be moving in the same direction. Right. Is important. And it. I really think part of it is, and you always hear stories, these managers learn their players. They like, and Popovich specifically, I'm, I'm going to use I'm going to do some field house stuff for a half second here. Popovich specifically would ask players questions like, so what do you like outside of basketball? I, I know who you are as a basketball player. What do you like outside of that? And I'd be very surprised if Pep doesn't have a lot of that in him. Oh, definitely, yeah. Where he's finding out who his players are as people, pushing them to be better people and not just better football players because that bears out on the field as well. Right. He's just constantly trying to be a positive force and trying to get the best out of people because I think that's how he's gotten to the level he is at. That's kind of, that's what he did with himself. He's like, well, I'm not athletic, but. But he was a cult, but he loved his culture. He loved being, you know, he loved Barcelona. He loved the city of Barcelona. That was home. He loved, he went to Lombardy because of that. That's where he went. That's why he went to Russia because he loved the, the culture that Lombardy brought. That was a big deal. You know, it's a big deal. And it, it helped him express who he was as a player better. Like, he went to Roma for six months, mm-hmm. and he wasn't played. And he was playing under Capello, which didn't he didn't really want him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, not to say that he didn't, couldn't like Rome, Rome culture, but, like, the, the reason why he went there was to, like, have all of it, not just a part of it. Right. You know? And I wonder if his play was affected because of it, in a way. But he was a great professional, I guess, at Roma, and that Daniel De Rossi and other players, like, were very much influenced by him. Uh, Alberto Aquilani ended up going to Liverpool and really... Mm-hmm kind of had to reinvent himself again at AC Milan later on. They all learned a ton under him and learned how to really play with Guardiola at the club for the six months he was there. And so And I think that's kinda that's kind of the story with Guardiola is every time you start start peeling things back and start talking about him as a player or him as a manager or him as a just a person you start seeing this this pattern of like well he was here and he profoundly changed how i looked at this or he he has changed how i think about football or he has changed he has that seems to be what he does Mm-hmm. He he will go somewhere and he will be like, well, I understand you and I don't think you are going to fit here, but I know that I can take these guys and I can show you this better way, right? Mm-hmm. To, to boil it all down very simply, he just, he's made three of the best teams ever when he was the coach of Barcelona with arguably the greatest side of all time. He has Man City now with Holland and De Bruyne, Gundogan, I, he Phil Foden, the team is stacked. They, yeah, I mean, they've got Diaz and Stones and Ederson, who's the best, probably one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And we haven't even talked about his time at Bayern Munich. I mean, uh, yeah, he was a brilliant at Munich, too. I mean, he turned Lewandowski into the monster that he is. I mean, not that Lewandowski wasn't a monster before that, but he, like, turned him into right. scoring five goals in ten minutes sort of guy. And it yeah. just, that, and that's, that's the thing with Pep. We haven't even talked about his time at Bayern Munich. I mean, at Bayern, they were already a great team, and then he just turned him into a juggernaut. 
Like right. he just turned him into a behemoth. And he was really unfortunate taught to win a championship. <laughs> right. Like he ran into Bar- uh, Real Madrid a couple times and lost mm-hmm. both of them for some reason. Like he couldn't get past it, even though. You uh, know, those were Ancelotti teams? Uh, one of them was, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're, yeah, they maybe they both were, but I think one of them definitely was his. Uh, Ancelotti is like a weird kind of like the, the opposite of him, I think, because his whole thing is kind of like good vibes football, isn't it? No, he's like a, he's another guy like maybe he's not like a tactically astute guy but he's a guy who puts the players in the best position to play the game right so he'll like figure out the system to find the whole thing so yeah so in some ways they are more similar than you think yeah yeah i I mean i once you get to that level i'd imagine you all have to have a pretty good understanding of of football tactics but yeah i i mean i think what we should do i think we're after this i think we're going to start to tap into other um, managers who um, have found influence. So like Johan Cruyff will probably be someone we'll talk about shortly. Uh, Rino Michel, we could talk about Carlo Ancelotti and why he's so special guy who's won four Champions Leagues. I mean, it feels like he needs to be talked about briefly and why he's a special manager in his own right and somehow won last year with Real Madrid again. You know, and so... (laughs) They might have stolen that one. uh, Yeah, but he won it. That's the thing is is that he won it and that's a big thing. And he's he's won it dominating his want it like playing having to defend the whole time he's done the yep. whole thing so i think there's something special about him but we're gonna start focusing our time on the world cup because we're getting we're like 70 75 days away or something to that extent away from being at the world cup here and i feel like it's time to actually we're like 60 less almost yeah, 60 it's, days it's, away it's 60 days from sunday yeah it's it's coming up yeah so we're getting real close to it and i feel like we need to have a conversation we need to start talking about the groups and like what's going to happen so that's going to be our main focus for the, the near future so expect those things we're going to get the groups out there for you we're going to talk about all kinds of weird stuff there'll be shorter podcasts probably like 30 minutes or so maybe maybe we'll extend it forever because that's how we do things here this this um, was supposed to be a 30 minute conversation i don't know where it's going to end up but we we have talked about we talked about iniesta for like five, five minutes, minutes yeah. <laughs> like, i mean it's hard with guardiola there's so many is he's so brilliant that you have to talk about all of it so well so that's that's and i don't even think we talked about it we didn't talk about all of it and he's not even been around for that long he's only been around for 13 years and he's brought a change in the game that has been so monumental that we could can continue to talk about it for another hour maybe two or four or ten or ten weeks i don't know we could do it all day <laughs> i could do it all day it's um, and and that probably ultimately if there's one thing we can leave you with is is the genius of pep to understand him you you learn about basically the the entirety of modern football he has touched all of it at this point i mean most of it anyway iniesta's in japan he's touched japanese football yeah, in a way yeah 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 <laughs> you know yeah uh, I mean, he's touched all world football like everyone has some idea of like juego de position and like how that all works and like every team tries to replicate that and and rondos are everywhere and he he all he does is rondos like i shouldn't say all he does is rondos he does other things too but like rondos are a la masia thing like and that's what he does with a lot of his stuff and he does other things to prime players and do things to get them ready but like a lot of his stuff is built in like a 4v4 plus 3 situation where they're constantly playing about advantage that's what they do that's the whole game and so i think and that's done everywhere now like all those things are done everywhere so it's really important to realize how special of a manager he is and why he why his importance exists in this in this way. Yeah. And I guess I mean we we have way more to say about Pep, but I think this is where we're going to have to leave it this time. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. Until next time, until we until we finish with our World Cup previews. Adios. Adios. We'll see you. We'll see you next time here at One Four One Studio. We'll start into World Cup stuff, and maybe if we have the time, we'll get into Yon Krayev or someone. Well, maybe we'll surprise Bielsa. You. We haven't. Or Marcelo Bielsa. Someone. We'll we'll surprise you. Maybe. We'll we'll that? find somebody. Somebody interesting. Stevie Nickel. Stevie Nickel. We could do. We can do Carl Robin. Um, we could do that. Everybody's favorite smoking cantankerous old man who decided that you just slice people down. Yeah, yeah. they do that, and they Guardiola does that too. Uh, yes, he is That's the guy who started the professional football or the professional fouls. Oh, no, yeah, professional fouls existed, but he did tactical professional fouls. Yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah, Sergio Busquets. Oh yeah, uh, so many yellow cards, never a red. God, he was he was the best at it. I almost, I, yeah. Anyway, we we need to move on. We could talk about that for a moment because I hate that so much. But <laughs> well, we need to we need to go. We're it's been a long day, and we should we should move <laughs> on to the next thing. Um, thank you so much for listening to One for One Studio and the Coffee House. We will talk to you soon.